HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. Meet and 3. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and 3. Welcome to Meet and 3. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. This week, we have a special bonus episode for you. Danya Abdalhamid has the story on how some Muslims are navigating Ramadan during the pandemic. Ramadan is the holy Islamic month where Muslims around the world abstain from food and drink, among other things. And just like virtually everything else, it's being impacted by the coronavirus. Here's Danya with the story. Today is the first day of Ramadan. For many Muslims, the month is an opportunity to deepen their spiritual practice, both individually and in community with others. For me, Ramadan is associated with shared community iftar dinners and crowded nightly prayers. But there are a million ways to observe the holy month, and every family, culture, and community has different traditions. But even despite those differences, Muslims around the world are bracing themselves for how social distancing will impact the holy month. Since the pandemic and everything, it's just been really difficult in trying to figure out how to make this iftar and this Ramadan as meaningful as the ones before because food does play such a central role in Ramadan. That's Layla, a 25-year-old Muslim based in Baltimore. For the past two years, she's hosted a community iftar for Black Muslims in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia region. I attended both iftars, and last year I volunteered to help Layla put everything together. Uh, so two years ago, um, Samira Abdurrahman, who um, is from Chicago, but I believe she's now based in the Bay Area, she started Black Iftar Chicago. And I remember, oh my gosh, it had to be like maybe three weeks before Ramadan was actually set to start, but like people started seeing it on Twitter. And a few people in my community um, were tagging me and they were like, oh, you should host this. And I was like, at first, I was like, why are people just expecting me? But I was like, okay, like, I get it. Like, I was very much looking for a way to bridge a lot of the different communities I was in. And I was like, okay, Black Iftar is a great way to do that. The Iftar provides a safe, affirming space for Black Muslims 
who may not always feel welcome in Arab or Desi-centered Muslim spaces. You will not be asked if you're a convert. You won't be asked, you know, whether or not you know al-Fatiha or whatever the ridiculous questions Black Muslims get at other iftars. So that was something that I'm really going to miss this Ramadan, like just being free in a space. I think a lot of people are going to miss it too. And I've seen, you know, a few elders talk about, uh, oh, this is actually like a blessing in disguise. And this is a chance for people to really focus on what matters. But I don't know. I feel like I like to negate that by saying like Allah purposely made food a very central thing in Ramadan and our holidays. Um, Ramadan and Eid being our holidays and each of them surrounding food or abstaining from food or indulging in food and food really being a spiritual bonding act for Muslims. And to not have that on the same scale this Ramadan is going to be really different. I know I'll definitely miss it. Over the last few years, I've started shedding some of the traditions I grew up with and begun developing my own. Black iftar has become one of those traditions. And not being able to attend the iftar this year feels like I'm losing something valuable. To me, Ramadan both is and isn't about food. On the one hand, only eating twice a day, once before sunrise and once after sunset, makes food and eating feel even more significant. It makes me pay more attention to each bite, and I often find myself spending lots of time thinking about food. Thinking about what I'm going to eat at a far what new recipe I'm going to try. And on the other hand, Ramadan is a month of spiritual rejuvenation, a month of deep reflection and soul work. Sure, food and the restriction of it is an important element, but it's not the main thing. Growing up, this was how I heard my parents and other adults in my community talk about Ramadan and the role food plays in it. And to an extent, I agree, but still, I think there's something else about iftar about sharing a meal with a group of people after you've all spent the day fasting, whether that's family, friends, or even complete strangers at the mosque. I already think about sharing a meal as an intimate act, but iftar resonates in that way even more. I asked Anam, a 22-year-old Muslim in Florida, what she thinks is the most important part of iftar. For me, the most important part of iftar actually comes before the actual iftar, it's like when people, you know, when you decide with your family or whoever you're breaking your fast with what it is you're going to be planning to, to make or when everybody sits down to eat and, you know, everybody's watching the clock or discussing how their fasts went. Um, I think that kind of ties it together for me. Everyone's kind of in it together. Well, like, you know, the rest of the day while you're fasting, people are off doing, you know, their own thing going about their day, it's that, like, those last, the last maybe half hour of the fast that you're sitting with the people who you're going to be breaking your fast with and discussing the food or discussing the act of fasting. I think that's, I mean, I think that means probably the most to me. As I reflect on the meaning of iftar, I'm reminded that for some Muslims, finding a safe, affirming, spiritual community isn't always easy or even possible. And because of that fact, community iftars aren't part of everyone's Ramadan traditions.
Ramadan has kind of been like the navigating fluid thing for me. Nayuma is a 24-year-old Muslim living in New Jersey. We're both editors at The Drinking Gourd, a volunteer-run literary journal focused on highlighting the work of Black Muslim writers, poets, and essayists. I asked Nayuma how she felt about not being able to have community iftars this year, and she couldn't really relate. I haven't had like a traditional iftar with like a community since I was about like 20, 21. Uh, by that time, there was a lot of like mental health issues going on. Um, you know, I stopped going to the mosque, you know, for reasons of like misogyny and, you know, ableism and sexism and just like uh, homophobia and transphobia. So I haven't really found a mosque nearby where they're like honoring and affirming and things like that. So for me, iftar is more of a, a thing where it's not as it's not in not integral, not like it is integral, but it's like not the most not the most important or something that I focus heavily on during Ramadan. Nayuma is really speaking to a larger point here. The experience of Ramadan is so vastly different for every Muslim. And because of that, how COVID-19 impacts us will also be different. And some of us will be impacted more than others. Here's Layla again. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard, especially on people who are reverts or uh, converts, elderly um, Muslims, Muslims who are disabled, um, LGBTQ Muslims who really rely on in-person small spaces for their sense of community. Both Nayuma and Anam echoed this. I think in terms of that, like making sure that, you know, we are listening to the most marginalized folks, the ones that are often silenced and seeing how we can support them. I guess one thing that I've been thinking about a lot this year on um, leading a Ramadan is For example, the community that I was in here, um, full of mostly Pakistani doctors, they've never had to think about what it's like to not have the community. They kind of, you know, they're so used to having each other and to having this community. You know, I guess, I hope they take this time to think about what it's like for, you know, Muslims who don't have that community, Um, for, you know, single mothers who have been shunned, or for people who are just in areas that don't have a very large Muslim community, or for um, converts who aren't accepted very readily into their community. That point really stuck with me. Regardless of what our Ramadan traditions may be, most of us are grieving their loss in some way. We're navigating the various ways that COVID-19 has changed our lives. And we're reconciling what that will mean for Ramadan. It's tough, but I hope that this Ramadan, in the absence of in-person iftars and prayers, that Muslims can reflect on how we can make our communities spaces that are welcoming to all, especially Muslims at the margins. Special thanks to Danya Abdalhamid for producing and reporting this week's episode. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. 
This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And stay in touch whether you have a story idea for us or just want to say hello. You can write to us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry at ChooseCherries.com.